Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining me from New York City, we're all excited to see the Detroit Pistons face the New York Knicks tonight at the Gardens. Tim Bonteps. Well, probably not quite as exciting as the in-season tournament finale the other night. True. And it might have been a little hangover effect because the Kings got uh, walloped by the Clippers, although the Clippers did play well in that game. But uh, kind of a tough ass to play back to back after that exciting one. Uh, congrats to the Kings. Uh, they will be Fox played play. great. Everybody else did not. Yeah, yeah. He had 40. Uh, but uh, best game for Kawhi uh, of the season and best game for James Harden um, as a Clipper. Uh, joining us from Dallas, Texas, bringing the positivity as always, Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. It is a kind of a chilly, drizzly day, but I've got sunshine pumping through my veins. It's all sunshine and affidils. Uh, I said affidils. We're still looking for a little bit of D around here. But listen, boys, there's nothing like a profane public pep talk from a Hall of Fame coach or a Hall of Famer who is a coach to, uh, you know, turn your outlook around. So I'm really looking forward to this pod today, boys. You've had some good lines. Affidels might be one of your best. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, pretty I mean, good. Um, by the way, enjoy compliments. I don't. I'm not trying to throw any shade. <laughs> the um, the Mavericks missed the playoffs last year. In fact, gave up, raised the white flag because they were unable to perform in the clutch. That's just a true statement. There's nobody that can um, they can debate that statement. So. You know, I've been and had some coaches. Not enjoy my <laughs> approach before. Certainly. That's true. There's a there's a Hall of Fame. That's a different Hall of Fame. Yeah, and and I'll be honest with you. This is the first time that I was like surprised. Like I didn't ask like a tough question. Uh, the question was basically last year after the trade clutch situations were a struggle. This year, you guys have been among the best in the league in those situations. What have you seen that's been different with the dynamic, specifically with Luke and Kyrie when you're closing games? That was the question. But, you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Hey, that might be a preview to uh, Cajoni's Factor Player of the Week later on in the pod. Player of the Week or Player of the Month? Month, 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 my bad. Jeez. Month. Okay. And we're doing like the NBA does where we combo October, November. Just Hey, so man, you know. I'm looking forward to it. We're very excited. Um, yeah, in case you missed it, Jason Kidd had some words for McMahon the other night. Um, you can find it on social media. Uh, by the way, real quick on the Dallas Mavericks, you wrote the news story that not only does Cuban have an agreement with the Adelson family, but that it might close by the end of the month, at the end of December. Like that That's, was a stunner to me. That was the statement from, and it's the Adelson and Dumont families. Patrick Dumont will be kind of the point person. He's, he's the son-in-law of Miriam Adelson. And uh, so that was their statement, which was surprising. I'll be honest. I, I'd heard rumblings about, a sale to that group. And I, you know, I mentioned it to you guys offline last year. Um, I thought it was possible it could happen in the off season. I'm not certain, but I think the delay might have been like, this is a, what a deal for Cuban. He cashes in with billions and gets to keep his toy to play with. He still gets control of basketball operations, bro. It's an absolutely amazing deal. Now, I don't have all the parameters yet, and I haven't had many conversations. In the NBA, it, when you talk amongst the billionaires, there's something that they refer to as the control share. Mm -hmm. So in the NBA, and, and 
the most recent sales have been to people who have very clear large majority, but they're right. over the years in the NBA have been owners who have a very small percentage of the team, mm -hmm. but they have the quote unquote control share. For example, Jerry Reinsdorf actually owns a very small percent. Well, a small percentage of Chicago Bulls. He has dozens of partners, but he has the control share. Even if somebody came in and bought up 51% of the shares, as long as, as long as they don't have Reinsdorf's share, he has control. This was the case with Vivek Ranadive, who I think had around or slightly less than 20% of the Kings when he first bought them. His The second and third uh, minority uh, partners could have sold to anybody, and that person would have had more percentage than Vivek Ranadive. Same thing with uh, Robert Perra in mm -hmm. Memphis when he first bought. But those guys had the control share. It's designated by the league. You have the control share. So basically, that has the value. The control share has right. the value. Um, whether it's 10%, whether it's 90%. What it looks like to me is that Mark Cuban sold the majority of the shares of the Mavericks, but retained the control share. Now, this is where I'm not on the sure. On the basketball side. On the basketball side. Well, this so this is the thing. This is what he cares about. I know, but the NBA requires somebody to be named having the control share. At the end of this, will Patrick Dumont be the governor, or will Mark Cuban? So that be that's governor? that was the other thing that was interesting about the uh, the statement from uh, the families that are buying the the team is they did make it clear that they have the right to be governor because okay, yeah. So they. Now, I don't know exactly what the language is in the purchase agreement, but one, one thing I have been told, and, and uh, this is the, the exact word that I heard was, Cuban will have basketball operations, quote, forevermore. <laughs> so well, that, to me, this is important. Is, yeah, I assume <laughs> that is like agreed to in the, you know, like in writing. Okay. My question from a NBA business standpoint is who has the control share? Because I'm going to tell you that, that, that I believe it would be the, the people who are buying it, the Sands Group folks. Okay. Partnerships and agreements uh, between owners who don't previously have relationships don't always go great. Yeah. yeah. So, now, so you may say to yourself, well, why would the Adelson family and Patrick Dumont, why would they buy the the Mavericks if they can't have control of basketball operations, which is, you know, that's the dream, right? Well, um, honestly, I don't know that they care a whole lot about basketball. Well, I have a pretty good idea. They bought it at a discount. The Phoenix Suns sold last February for $4 billion. Valuation. You know, Matt Ishpia didn't actually give Robert Sarver $4 billion. I think Sarver owned 30 something percent. Right. The key word is valuation. Mm -hmm. And Cuban doesn't own 100% of the Mavericks. And he's nor is he yeah. selling all of his shares. He's retaining a stake. So the key word here is valuation. Right. Uh, it's a way to standardize all sales. Okay. Because in some of these sales, you're taking on debt uh, and you assume the debt. So blah, blah, blah. All right. Three, five. Dallas is a bigger market than Phoenix. Yeah. You know, the Mavericks are, are a more valuable property. Than um than the Suns, they bought it at a discount. Forbes had the Mavericks valued at four point five. I think you could you could argue that Cuban gave up 
a billion dollars worth of valuation to keep control of basketball operations. Maybe, you know, honestly, honestly, McMahon, maybe more. Maybe more. Because because a, a, a team, first off, here's, here's something else. The Adelson family was one of the fam was one of the potential bidders for the Vegas mm -hmm. potential Vegas expansion team. They're now out of it, you know. So they're not going to. I mean, right. so you know, if you're LeBron who is planning on, you know, getting a group together to make an offer for that, should it come to pass in a year or two, you are happy. Um, not only that, they, a team just sold for three five at a at a discount. So I I have to say, like Bon Temps, like on one hand. Um, the owners can't be happy with three five. By the other hand, they're like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> this is a precedent where I can sell and still run the team." That's an interesting precedent. Ishbia um, loves that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Wait a minute, I way overpaid. What's crazy?" I so arrangements like this have existed. There have been other people in the past that have had you know small shares of teams, but have actually called the shots. Um, but the sale and hanging on to it is sort of unique in the modern era. Yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly an interesting situation. It will be interesting to see what the medium to long-term outcome is. I would say, you know, Cuban can certainly present the fact that he's going to run the team forever. I think when somebody buys. Forevermore. Right. I didn't say but if you can. That. I just said I was told that. Well, no, but I mean, like, obviously that's coming from the Cuban side of things, right? His presentation is to people that, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be in charge. Mm-hmm. My read of it is from a very far distance away and not having reported on it like you obviously have, is that if you buy 80 to 85% of something, you eventually have 100% of something. And, you know, I don't know if it's 20 years from now. I don't know if it's 10 years from now. I don't know if it's, you know, at some point farther away than that. But it seems like at some point, the Adelson family, whoever is in charge of it, will be running the Mavericks at some point in the future. Because like I said, yes, they have these other interests. They want to build a casino. They want to do this yeah. other stuff, but you don't, you don't buy this much of a team in theory to just never have the whole thing. Maybe they won't. Well, and, and we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, um, you know, immediately the Mavericks lease runs through 2031. You know, they've been working with this group, uh, trying to push for the gambling law for gambling to get legalized in Texas. The the vision, the plan is to build this Venetian like resort that include that includes a massive casino, a new arena, and you know that that's that's their motivation for buying the Mavericks is to be able to have a, more leverage to push that thing through to expand their empire uh, into Texas. And, you know, for the Mavericks, their pockets just got much, much deeper. Like, obviously, Cuban is filthy rich, but not by NBA owner standards. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that this sale is happening as the regional sports networks are crumbling. You know, Bon Temps, you wrote about that. What you have the you have the exact numbers on what the Mavericks stand to lose if you know as as the Bally ship goes down, but I've been told that was a you know pretty significant motivational factor um, in in terms of you know Cuban deciding he doesn't want to be the ones that uh, is responsible for the purse strings. It's a really smart point, and while I don't know the exact number per se that Dallas gets in these deals, it's a significant number mm -hmm. and. You know, we've talked a lot. You know, I wrote about the Phoenix. You know, Brian and I have both written about the Phoenix Suns going over the air, having the games on public broadcast. I was watching their broadcast last night when they lost to Toronto. 
we've I've written about the Utah Jazz going to that model. You could go to that model and talk about it as a marketing thing, and you're going to have millions of more people watching your games. You ain't making nearly as much money. And with the the recent deal, won't get too sports businessy here, but the recent deal that came up with too late. Diamond Sports to have all these regional sports networks all get aligned and be done at the end of this year. Next year, all these teams are going to be trying to do some version of their own broadcast. They're all going to be losing a lot of money. And yeah. yes, the year after that, the new TV deal kicks in and it's going to boost things back up. But it's I hadn't really thought about it. So you just said it. It's a really smart point. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams over the next 18 to 24 months finding ways to try to boost some revenue in the short term to get themselves to the point where this new TV deal kicks in and theoretically rises the tide across the board because there's going to be a bunch of teams losing a chunk of money that they're used to getting in their pockets every year. Well, and I think that the local TV deals, the local TV crisis, let's just be honest, it's a crisis on a lot of fronts. The fact that you can't freaking find the Denver Nuggets on TV anywhere within like a six-state span yep. of Denver. Can't, can't in Omaha. I mean, it's insane. We well, can't watch uh, anything in Omaha. We've, we've established and, that. Yeah, and you've got a lot like, you have the financial thing and the fan thing. The local TV situation in several places is a complete mess. And that's got to be something that the league office figures out. But like I said, I think that was part of Mark Cuban's motivation here. Much deeper pockets. Now, there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions, you know, a lot of speculation as far as what his other motivations are, et cetera, et cetera. You know, one question I have, and it's, I think this is going to have to be something that's asked in a, in a press conference to get people on the record about it is how exactly is the basketball budget going to work? Who sets that? You know, Cuban's running basketball operations. Is who, Who's setting the budget for that? Uh, if it goes over, who's covering it? Like maybe how, Mark's maybe Mark's going to start just throwing out money again because he's not spending it. Maybe other people <laughs> are spending hey, it. Yeah, and he's a, he's a lot richer now if he has to cover just the overages. But uh, pretty interesting deal to say the least. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right. Well, that's a lot of basketball business, but it was interesting. Um, let's talk about some basketball. We talked about Denver a second ago, and uh, I would like to take a moment here to address the developing situation in Denver, which is that Nikola Jokic is absolutely beasting. <laughs> that's he developed. had. That's, that's why is this a developing situation? It, because he's even better than he was last year, and that's you know, <laughs> FYI. You know, the Nuggets have been going along. They just had kind of a clunky road trip. Jamal Murray's back now. They played the Houston Rockets, still winless on the road, Houston Rockets, by the way, on Wednesday night. And he had a nice, uh, tidy little 32, 10, and 15 on 60% shooting with 10 rebounds and 15 assists. He's, he's, it's been easy. You know, they, they just, we accept them as champs and that they're very formidable. And we keep an eye on Murray. We keep, we told, we've talked more about their, their bench this year. We talked about Jokic. And so I just want to pause here and point out what the kind of season that Jokic is having. He is averaging, and, I, and I'm not sure why, if it's related to the fact that Murray missed a bunch of time, if it's related to the fact that they lost the scoring that Jeff Green and, and Bruce Brown gave them. But Jokic is just looking for his shot more this year than he has in the past. He's shooting the ball more than he ever has in the in the past. He, but and he's just putting up just some super crazy numbers, even beyond the numbers he had last year. 
he's averaging 29 points a game. He's never been a guy who's been uh, way up there in the scoring. He's obviously always been a good scorer, but never super up there. He's up there in the top five, six for scoring already this year. He is leading the NBA right now in rebounds, averaging you know more rebounds than he did last year. He's never grabbed as many offensive rebounds as he has this year. Uh, he's up to, I think, as of right now, he's sixth in the league in offensive rebounding. He's leading the NBA in defensive rebounding percentage. So he's having a monster rebounding season, better than he was last year. He is, his his uh, his shooting is a little bit down, I think probably because he's shooting more and he's shooting a little bit more from farther away from the basket as he looks to boost his scoring. But I don't know. I mean, PER, player efficiency rating, has kind of gone out of vogue with the um, the basketball intelligentsia because they think it favors big men. Um, but it's a good baseline to sort of standardize the performances of all NBA seasons. You can compute PER back to the guys in the 60s. Now, they didn't have the three-point shot, but it can give you an interesting measure. And Jokic has led the league in, in PER three consecutive years. He's been the most efficient player in the league for a long time. And last year, or in two years ago, he had the highest PER in the history of the NBA at 32.8. So very, very strong. This year, he has got a 34.6 PER, significantly higher than even the record that he had two years ago that he is. Uh, by the way, Michael Jordan, and again, Jordan didn't shoot a lot of threes. Michael Jordan's career PER was 27.7. Jokic's is 27.9. I, I believe that's accurate. Now, again, it, not all errors are going to equal the same when it comes to efficiency. But I just want to point out that while we spend a lot of time focusing on who's struggling, on new developments, this guy is as not only as good as he's ever been, better than ever so far this season. He's leading the league in triple doubles. No surprise there. He's led it, I believe, the last two or three years. Not and showing any signs of slowing down. He's got a bunch of, or at least a handful of those joker near misses where it's, you know, 31, 14, and 9. He, he has those games on a regular basis. Yeah. So, uh, and not only that, like, he's crushing teams in the first half. I think he's sniffed around a couple of first half triple doubles this year. He just put up some crazy first half numbers. Like, comes mm -hmm. out just looking to kill. And, um, you know, coming off of a championship, you always keep an eye on whether a team is going to, you know, remain, you know, keep its edge. This guy hadn't lost anything. He's even sharper than he was a year ago. And so, I mean, I just, I've been watching his performances going, boy, there's another great one. There's another great one. Boy, look at that half and then moving on. And I just wanted to pause here and say, good God, Jokic, he has got it rolling. Well, let's, let's be honest. Like, you have to find reasons to say somebody else should be the MVP. And last year, Embiid had an MVP year, which he had the previous couple of years. But honestly, Joker kind of bowed out of the race late, you know, decided, eh, I'm not that interested, sat a bunch of games. They, you know, didn't exactly hit the gas uh, to the finish of the season. But the guy is, like, just clearly the best player in the league and, and does it in a way that, you know, is just so unique in that he's not like a great athlete. He's, he's more athletic than maybe you, you think, but he like, he has the best touch maybe I've ever seen. Like the, the fact that this guy shoots a rim runner field goal percentage, taking a bunch of like 
through contact contested floaters and and even mid-range you know jumpers and jump hooks and all these kind of things is absolutely insane and you know he's he puts up historic numbers barely breaking a sweat it seems like last night you mentioned uh his stat line so most career games with 30 points 10 rebounds 15 assists on 60 percent field goal uh shooting this is a stats williams special uh joker has three of those now it's most in nba history only two other guys have two any guesses i assume wilt you can always assume Wilt, and you're accurate bomb temps wilt and kareem not kareem or shaq not shaq no 15 assists dude true david robinson 15 assists david robinson didn't o- have oscar robertson no magic yeah well that's <clears throat> But you know, and the 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 Nuggets have kind of you know they're figuring out the bench. Murray just came back last night, and it's going to take him some time to to get up to speed. But you know, we can talk about the Celtics being off to this phenomenal start. Wow, the Sixers look like they actually might be for real, despite the whole Harden saga. Um, you know, we can mention a number of other teams, but the Denver Nuggets are still defending champions, and as far as I'm concerned, they're still the the significant favorites to uh to win it again this year yeah i mean i think significant favorites is a stretch but that's not because of Jokic, who's obviously great i mean the interesting thing to me is sort of what you alluded to brian i mean his numbers are more or less in line with where they were two years ago across the board i think you can argue last year he was better given just how ridiculously efficient he was shooting over 60 percent from the field and almost 40 percent from three but the interesting thing is him getting up to 20 shots a game and it will be curious for me to see does that continue when Jamal Murray is back, because that's always been the thing with Jokic. Yeah. When you watch him play, it's kind of like, man, you'd like him to shoot four or five more times a game. Last year, he was averaging in the, the high 14s. And with how good he is, if he could work in shooting 18, 19, 20 times a game, while also averaging nine assists a game with Jamal there full time, then you're talking about you know him doing some pretty ridiculous stuff even by his standards. And when you go back and look at what he did in the playoffs last year, that's basically what he did. That's it. He yep. shot he shot a little over 20 times a game and his three-point shooting was through the roof. He probably wouldn't do that again in a normal situation. But still, when he Yeah, combines, three-point shooting is actually the one weak spot. It's down quite a bit this year. Right. Last year he was 38. This year he's 31. But when he when he's aggressive with his shot, that's when he looks like it, he takes his game to another level. Because a lot of times when you watch Denver play, when they struggle, it's because teams are sort of content to let Jokic score and not really let these other guys get involved. Because then as anybody who's watched him play knows, he likes to be pinging the ball around, getting guys involved. He doesn't really want to be shooting 20, 25 times. But if he gets comfortable doing that and getting eight, nine tennis assists a game, it just raises the Nuggets up to another level from where they were already. He's yeah. the best player I've ever seen when he's standing still. It, it, you know, it's crazy how he is able to create space without moving his feet. And, and you know what? Who you know who else has been great at that for years in a much smaller package? Chris Paul's always been great at that. How many times have you seen Chris Paul just kind of, you know, stare a guy down, stare a guy down, stare a guy down, and then boom, rise up for uh, a, a jumper? Joker's incredible at that. You know, I saw uh, the one time I saw the Nuggets live so far this year was in Oklahoma City, and they they mopped the floor with the the Thunder. wasn't a great day. It was Shea struggled that day, but like there was one time where Joker gets the ball right about the free throw line and just kind of turns around, and he's got he's got Chet in front of him. Hell of a shot blocker, phenomenal defense player. Just kind of stares at him, just kind of 
leans one way and you know muscles a little bit and whoop rises up easy little easy little shot he's uh and Bontemps, you hit it on the on the playoff thing like this is this is what he's been in the playoffs for a while last year was the first time they've been able to obviously you know get all the way through and make a finals run but he's averaged 20 shots per game in the playoffs for his career and you always hear team you've heard teams basically say hey we want to make him be a scorer for the reasons you mentioned, because, you know, they, they, hey, if Joker's is going to beat us by himself, fine. The hope is his teammates aren't in rhythm. Um, you know, typically if guys don't touch the ball, maybe it saps energy. That's that sort of a thing. <laughs> when a dude's averaging 30 and still handing out nine or 10 assists, whew, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. All right. Well, just status report on Jokic. I know there was a lot of people worried about him. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's gonna be okay <laughs> i know bontemps i wanted to talk about this bontemps was like yeah what about him he, <laughs> he's still really he's good. still great thank you well next topic all right next it topic. Is a developing story apparently <laughs> well it's a developing story that he's maybe even better than he was last regular season this, i, I mean listen I'm we're not we're not too far away from the conversation about joker being you know how high does he rank among all-time greats we're not too far away multi-time mvp finals mvp if he's going to get super high on that list, obviously got to add uh, to his ring collection, but there's already one. Look, we talked about it last year. If he wins another title and he has two MVPs and two titles, same thing Giannis has a chance to do if he wins another title. I mean, you're talking about six or seven players all time that did that. That's, you know, Magic, it's LeBron, it's Jordan, Tim Duncan. Like you're talking of Kobe, it's not Steph Kobe. Who- didn't, Kobe didn't even win two. Like you're talking about right. Steph. If he wins another MV, Finals MVP, um, are you talking about Finals MVP? Oh, no, that was Finals MVP. MVP. No, but overall, overall, yeah. Like yeah. the bottom line is, you're talking about six, seven, eight guys ever that have right. done that. Yeah, like it's, it's I a mean, very rarefied air of people. Yeah, I mean, there are people who debate, you know, Steph's all-time place. Like four titles, two MVPs, Finals MVP. Guys, we're talking about Pretty one good. hand, maybe maybe six fingers. I mean, it, it case closed, and that case has been closed for a while, even before he had the fourth title. Frankly. And the finals MVP. He well, was already the, there with three the titles. The finals MVP. MVP, what that did was it it shut up a stupid narrative is what that did. Okay. So, so the guys right. who won two titles and two MVPs, just to give the list because I have it here, Kareem, Bill Russell, Jordan, Chamberlain. Well, Chamberlain, I think, only won one. LeBron, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Tim Duncan. You said Steph. two finals MVPs? Two MVPs. Not two MVPs. So you're talking, I mean, again, it's like – you're talking about the most inner circle of guys. If you do that, like you jump up the list really fast. All right. So the next topic uh, that I want to talk about <clears throat> is another terrific interior player, not quite on the level of Mr. Jokic yet. And that's Zion Williamson. Zion had one of his best games of the season, one of the best games of the last two years. Um, he was 11 to 12 against the 76ers on Tuesday now or on uh, Wednesday. Embiid was out with an illness, didn't play the, uh, Pelicans rolled the Sixers. The Pelicans are 10 and 9. Mm-hmm. They've been up and down this year, but they did win their group and will be in the uh, in-season tournament quarterfinals next week. They got to travel to Sacramento. That's a tough one. But after a bit of a shaky start and where Zion was making those sort of odd cryptic comments about like I being in the back seat or whatever he was. Yeah. For the last 3 weeks or so, Zion has rounded into form, especially the last uh, five or six games. They put the ball more in his hands, and it was it was easier to do because CJ McCollum has been out with a, the uh, chest injury, 
He is now back. He played his first game after missing 12 against the 76ers. But Zion was shooting a low percentage by his standards. His mm-hmm. his free his field goal percentage had dropped almost 10 points. Didn't have great body language, was saying some weird stuff. And about three weeks ago, I think it was after that game in Dallas. Were you at that game, McMahon? It was uh, got... it was in it was against the Mavericks in New Orleans. Oh, it was in New Orleans. Series okay. in New Orleans. And the Mavericks spanked him pretty good in the first one. And then Zion had I would say a pretty mopey post-game press conference. I wasn't there, but obviously the... the right, that was the when he made around. those comments. Yeah. yeah. So they had lost five in a row at that point, and they had a team meeting. And the, the players have talked to the media, you know, at The mm-hmm. Athletic and at the New Orleans Times-Picayune uh, about it. Like, it's not a secret. And basically, they told each other, like, number one, you got to defend, which... Find me a team meeting in NBA history where defense wasn't an issue. Yeah, where that didn't come up. (laughs) But And they were like, you got to share the ball. And Mm -hmm. after that, like Brandon Ingram and Zion uh, started doing some post-practice, like little work sessions with James Borrego. And uh, look, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not close enough to the team to be able to tell you whether that mattered at all. But Zion has... Reemerge now talking to people close to the team they they also point out that zion doesn't typically play and i don't think this summer he doesn't typically play five on five in the off season which means that he didn't play five on five really i'm not sure he ever got to five on five last spring yeah. so he may not have played five on five between when he hurt i think he initially hurt his hamstring like january 2nd he might not have played five on five for eight or nine months and so it's been suggested to me that some of it was Zion just needed to get back into rhythm, you know, conditioning yep. or whatever, but needed to get back into rhythm and that that's happened. But other, it's also been markedly noticed after that team meeting that it might have actually worked. Now, again, 10 and 8, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Pelicans have arrived. They just blew two games in Utah in a baseball series. Utah's Oof. got six wins. Both of those games were Utah close. without Larry Markinen, dude. Right. And, and Zion did sit one of those games. He's been... Um, He's been sitting back to backs, but he hasn't missed any games with injury yet. Knock on wood. But uh, the last uh, five games, he's shooting 65% from the field and averaging over five assists. He's sharing the ball, playing more point guard. You know, 10 and 9, we'll see. You know, I, you know, he's not, I don't think he's ever played in a playoff game. So I think Monday is about as big of a game as he's played in. So, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're generally playing well. You know, those, those games at Utah, I don't know. But, um, you know, they have some good wins in their last, in this streak where they've gotten back above 500. They they beat the Kings already once when the Kings had that winning streak. I think they had some other good wins. I can't remember. I think, actually, I think they beat the Kings twice. They, I think they're 2-0 against the Kings already this year. So, you know, even though they got to go on the road. Although, you know who they beat? They beat Denver. They uh, I think they maybe broke Denver's winning streak at one point. So they, they got a couple of wins. I know they played a real close game against Minnesota. Actually, I just looked now. It wasn't close. They lost by 20. Oh, no, they lost by they, one. They, they beat the Sixers. Right. They beat the Sixers. And they didn't play, but they beat the Sixers. Right. Um, so so their, so their RPI is rising, to use a college term. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens uh, on Monday. But, you know, I just thought, again, Zion, we pay attention to when he struggles. Yep. He's playing better. And so let's point it out. Well, yeah. There's only Zion, one stat that matters. 15 games played. He's yeah. played over 30 games once in his career. He has played under 30 games four t- three times in his career. This is his fifth season. If he's on pace right now to play 60 games, if he plays 60 games, that's a huge win for the Pelicans, and they've got a chance to do something interesting. We'll see if he could stay on the court. But really, I mean, he still has some issues as a rebounder. He still has some issues as a defender. But if he's going to be out there scoring 25 a game on pretty high efficiency, and more importantly, he's on the court playing, New Orleans will take that compared to what they've had 
the last couple of years with him. Well, and New Orleans is a team that we should at least have somewhere on our radars because, again, you go back to last year, the week that Zion was hurt, got hurt, and ended up missing the rest of the year, earlier in that week, they were tied for first in the Western Conference. And it, it, unfortunately, there's been so little time that they've had all three of their main guys together since the McCollum trade, but McCollum is back now. Trey Murphy is going to play as soon as this weekend. That is a major, major uh, development for them. I don't know how long it'll take for him to kind of get his feet under him and all that, but that's a guy who you know, shot 41% from three at high volume last year and is a really, really, really good young player. Uh, they are ecstatic with their rookie first-round pick, Jordan Hawkins. I actually was talking to Mike D'Antoni, who's now a consultant for New Orleans. I was talking to him for a story that I was that I'm working on, uh, not Pelicans related. But anyways, you know, we're just kind of shooting the ball a little bit. And he brought up Hawkins to me. He's like, man, this kid is really got a chance. Jordan Hawkins has been huge for them in keeping their head above water three-point wise without Troy Murphy. Yeah, He's a Mike D'Antoni kind of player. He's got a beautiful looking jump shot. Well, and the one thing that D'Antoni really emphasized about him is don't think he's just a shooter. He said he's he's got athleticism. He's got some ability to make some things happen off the bounce. He compared him. I don't, I'm not going to say the name because people freak out, and I already got aggregated with the whole Anthony Edwards, Michael Jordan, half serious comparison. But he he compared him to a, a Hall of Fame three point shooter who I, I'm going to guess it was Ray Allen, which is not a comparison that that's a comparison that has been made before. If it was him, not saying he's going to be that guy. But just saying, he's that type of player—not just well, a three-point yeah. shooter, but an athlete who can who can do some things, uh, you know, attacking the rim as well. Well, that's a that's a comparison that's came up going back to last year's title run with UConn, where uh, Ray Allen also obviously went to school. And he, I mean, you saw anybody who watched their title run. I mean, he is a big physical guard who can shoot shoot the three really well. He's got a beautiful looking shot. Like you said, he's got the ability to do some other stuff. And you know, with with where their team is at. They've got some interesting young wings with him. You mentioned Trey Murphy. He's finally going to get back. He's one of the more interesting younger guys in the league. And CJ went right back in the starting lineup. It'll be interesting to see if Dyson Daniels continues to get real minutes for them. They were really good with that starting lineup for most of that run. They obviously lost those games to the Jazz uh, with it. But Dyson Daniels looked like a guy who deserves to be playing. And that's going to be an interesting thing to monitor, I think, with them. Because we know they've got a lot of scoring across the board and you've got Brandon Ingram and Zion in particular and Jonas Valanciunas, who we haven't mentioned, you know, the defense is an issue with those guys. And Dyson Daniels is a big, really good defender who can also handle the ball. They have been so. defending better in that, in this stretch um, post team meeting. It'll be yeah, interesting to see what happens. Keep an eye on them. Keep an eye on them. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. All right, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. That's right. It's the end of of November. That means, McMahon, the floor is yours. Cojones Factor, Player of the Month. That is sort of semi-monthly. But yes, let's have it. Well, I'm trying to make this a monthly thing, but it's your podcast, so I always have to ask your permission. Uh, Here we go, fellas. And listen, we are going to start with that foundation of positivity. We'll do bronze, silver, gold. Uh, every month here with Wendy's okay, but <laughs> we're going to focus just on this season so far. There will be no references to drastic improvement 
from uh, the last couple of months of last season. But we're going to have one team take two medals. It's a package deal. It is a package deal, baby. Your Dallas Mavericks star duo of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are going to take bronze and silver. And this is not just a transparent attempt for me to kiss butt so Jason Kidd's nice to be at the next press conference. No, no, no. This is the subject that got under his skin, so he might be angry for me talking about it. But you don't seek approval of head coaches. That I can uh, tell you. Simple facts here. Clutch net rating. The Mavericks are second in the league, plus 34.2 points per 100 possessions. Offensive rating, second in the league, 130.9 points. Here's a shocker. Defensive rating, fifth in the league, 96.7. Small sample size, but it's 30 minutes. They have the best record in the league in clutch games. And this is, in all seriousness, this is the biggest difference between them farting all over themselves in the last year and them getting off to a really good start this year. They are 8-1 and one in clutch games, and Kyrie and Luka are doing it as a combo. I think the the you know best example of this is Luka driving and kicking against the Lakers. Kyrie left wing, swishing a three. That's the game winner with 22 seconds left there uh, in L.A. last week. But, I mean, you talk about doing it as a combo – they both have 31 points in the clutch. Uh, both have been very efficient. Luca shooting, you know, 50% from the floor, 50% from three. Uh, Kyrie, 10 of 16 from the floor. They've combined for 10 assists with no turnovers. Luca's rebounding like a madman. Um, and, you know, talking to uh, Kyrie, who didn't seem bothered by the subject uh, after the game the other night, you know, asking him, hey, you know, what do you think you guys have kind of figured out? And he said that the, the biggest thing is they've gotten out of this my turn, your turn. And and there were times last year, most significantly against the that time against the Timberwolves, where they're kind of deferring to each other, passing the ball back and forth. And it's like, crap, <laughs> it's too late. And and you know, things are happening in the flow. They are pushing the pace a little bit, playing uh faster. Um, I did give Luca. I gave Luca silver um, simply because of that shot that he hit against the Nets. <laughs> the three quarter, you know, two guys in his face, <laughs> including his old pal Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, throw it up there, high arc and boom, off the glass, just ridiculous Luca type shot. And as, as Finney-Smith said afterwards, like I can't even be mad because he actually practices that kind of BS. Um, so I gave him the silver, Kyrie the bronze, but yeah. Two teams taking uh taking or one team rather taking two medals and then fellas the gold. I think you guys can have a pretty good guess of who's gonna get this. The guy I the think guy he's a multi-time the guy, winner. The guy who's already yeah. scored more clutch points than his entire team did last year, I believe. Is that right? Uh, well definitely more than I, any individual player did last year. Okay. Okay. Not yeah, individual player. Sorry, time. Not team. Okay, not team. Okay. Dame time, Damian Lillard. And you know, I mentioned on the pod last week. Or I think the last pod we did. At that point, he had more clutch points than the rest of the Bucks combined, which is one thing if they're not executing the clutch, but they are eight and two in clutch games. They are the team that has the best net rating, plus 39.6, the best offense rating, plus 135.4, third in defense rating, 95.8. Not sure how much he has to do that, but he's got to you know be doing his part. And it's now tied. 
Dame has 65 clutch points. The rest of the Bucks have 65 clutch points. He's done it efficiently, no turnovers. Um, and those 65 points lead the league by a lot, by a significant margin. So Damian Lillard, the proud recipient of this year's first Cajones Factor Player of the Month Award. And he is proud, I'm sure. He is proud, for sure, of that positivity. Gotta love it. The trophy will be coming in the uh, in the snail mail. You know what? I think we're gonna we're actually gonna have to take some time on the trophy because it was two basketballs shoved into a net. But I think we're gonna turn those basketballs into some sort of like sunny type of figures. You know, so it'll be like <laughs> two suns crammed right. into a net together. Um, just because this is it is a very positive award. There's no bigger compliment than the Cajones factor. That's right. Well done, McMahon. You Thank you, you being at your best. Uh, all right, before we go, your, your pleasant demeanor. I wanted to remind everybody we do have our first ever and last live show last next Friday night in Las Vegas, seven o'clock Vegas time at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club at uh, the Link Casino on the uh, Link Promenade there on the strip. Um, you can uh, still buy tickets at um, bit.ly slash Windy Hoop Vegas which I'm sure they want to have me get tattooed somewhere. And uh, we'll come with food, merchandise. God knows what else we're going to come up with. Wendy, um, back when it was a pleasant experience for me to check my Twitter mentions a few days ago, there's a lot of folks who were inquiring about whether they could actually get one of those Wendy's top, uh, Wendy Tops trading cards there. They had, I, sources tell me you found the box of these cards. Will they be making an appearance? Will I, they be I unearthed. I unearthed the the spare box that I have. I'm not bringing that whole box. I mean, geez, I got to take all the way out to Vegas. No way. I will bring. How big is the box? Supply. I mean, it's like a standard. You know, it's like it's a card. It's you know, it's a I don't know, nine inches, ten. No, maybe a foot long. I don't know. I don't know. There's hundred, couple hundred still that I have. I don't know, a hundred or so in there. I'll bring some. I'll all get right. you one. You gonna bring a sharpie? A shout out to J.E. Skeets, who um, the No Dunk uh, guys. They they you know, J.E. They loved your tweet about it. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, even though typically Skeets only um, collects Canadian players because he's a true Canadian, <laughs> totally only cares about Canadians. He will. He has said that he will. Uh, you know, come off his high horse, his high Canadian Royal Mounted Police horse, and accept a card if I can scare one up for him. So. Speaking oh, of those guys, shout out to Tass Mellis, who is back healthy and uh, potting again oh. after some health stuff. We're, we're big fans of those guys. So glad to see him back. Yes, sir. Uh, All right. And we look forward wait, to seeing on, you Wendy. guys. Hold yeah. on. The cards are coming. Is the Sharpie? The Sharpie coming? I'll bring a Sharpie. Yeah, I me. mean, <clears throat> yeah, I guess. I, I, I don't have my hands on a Sharpie at the moment. I'm looking around if I have one, but, you know, one can be acquired, I'm sure. I'm sure. By the way, somebody, I'm not going to say who, somebody sent me a, a link to one of these cards on eBay. And if you scroll down, uh, the Wendy card was going for more than uh, a Babe Ruth card. So you're a bigger deal than the Bambino, baby. Yeah, I think there might, need be, might be some circumstances involved in that. But um, <laughs> yeah. you got family members. We're, in we're trying to build value for what you get for uh, for uh, coming out to see us. So uh, check that out if you're going to be in Vegas and interested in coming. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Jackson will be there in Vegas with us. He'll be running the show. He will no nonsense from Jackson. Oh, there'll be plenty um, of nonsense. Thank you, Mr. Bottoms. 
Thank you to Mr. McMahon. Thank you for listening to Hoop Collective. We'll be back talking to you guys uh, next week. Adios, amigos, and everybody have a great day. Ah.